Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Thank you, worship team. Hey, can we thank Jose and the rest of the team for leading us to worship? Thank you, guys. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to just sing in a room with people again. So great. Well, uh, here's where I want to start with everybody today. I want to tell you one thing to begin with, and here's, here's what it is. Don't be an iceberg. You're welcome. You can go home. God bless you. Okay. Don't be an iceberg. This is all I want to communicate to you today. If you're taking notes, why don't you go ahead and open up your COH app. You can select the East Campus notes in there. And I'm telling you today, don't be, nope, not that. Go back one more, guys. Don't be an iceberg. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, first off, an iceberg, clearly, you would look at that. You go, oh, well, it's an iceberg. Well, here's how they're formed and what happens. A pe- an iceberg is a large piece of ice that it's fresh water, and it's fallen off of a glacier into salt seawater. And it floats just like that. Now, I learned this past week that all icebergs, all of them, only have 10% of their tip sticking out of the water. You ever heard of the phrase, the tip of the iceberg before? This is where it comes from. All icebergs, all of them, no matter the shape, no matter the size, have 10% sticking up out of the water, 90% below the water. It has to do with density, where the density of ice is close to the density of salt water, but not totally all the way there. So that's why 90% kind of sinks, only 10% floats. I know, science, it's amazing. So only 10% sticks out of the water, the tip of the iceberg. And I'm telling you here today, don't be an iceberg. What in the world does that have to do with you? We haven't seen ice like that in Florida in who knows how long. It's never like that. So what in the the world do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Most of our lives, 10% sticks up above the surface. Your actions, your words, what people can see, how you behave, what you manifest, what you don't manifest, really only 10% of that is outwardly visible to yourself and to other people. And if we're really honest with ourselves, 90% of who we are, of our motivations, of our identity, of our core, of everything that wires us and makes you up of who you are is actually under the surface where people can't see And the reason you don't want to be like an iceberg is because so many people settle for letting the grace of God transform only the top 10% that's visible to yourself and to everyone else. And very few people allow the reckless love of God to transform the 90% that's unseen, that's under the surface, that's hidden and deep within here. Are you going to be the type of person who lets God touch only what other people can see? Or are you going to be the type of person who lets God touch what others can see and also what no one else can see with human eyes but him? Don't be an iceberg. So we're starting a new sermon series today. We're calling it Come Alive. Everyone say that. Come Alive. Good job. You can actually hear each other through masks. What do you know? So we're starting a new sermon series called Come Alive. We're talking about this concept. Go ahead and put up the slide, guys, for Come Alive. Uh, We're talking about this concept 
of what does it mean to experience deep transformation, deep transformation in all of your personhood, not 10% of who you are, but 100% of who you are, of not just above the surface, but deep beneath the surface. And when we experience whole personhood transformation, it causes us to come alive and to sing a new song from within our hearts. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a theme verse scripture. Now, what we've normally done in the past when you were here in person, we would hand you a little scripture memory verse card. We're not handing out paper anymore. So you can go ahead and put the background in your smartphone. It's Ephesians 5.14. Here's the background of what it looks like on a phone. That's not a phone. Go back. There it is. You can go to our website. Just go to additional resources for sermon stuff. You can download that background in Spanish and in English for your phone. So you can memorize this scripture over the next several weeks when we're talking about this concept. So now, thank you. Can you go ahead and put Ephesians 5.14 on the screen? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this verse all together, and we're going to practice memorizing it as a congregation, as a church together over the next several weeks. So go ahead. Let's read this out loud together. It says this. This is why it was said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, One of my mentors did like a call and response type of a thing, a part of a movement that Pastor Dale and I belong to. So I'm going to say, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and you're going to say, and Christ will shine on you. Can we all do that? Okay, ready? Wake up sleeper and rise from the dead. That was about halfway there. Let's try it one more time. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. Much better. Great. Awesome. Very good. So that's our theme verse. Now, what we're going to be doing uh, for the, me- the rest of our time today is we're going to be introing a little bit more of this concept and then unlocking a very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, in fact, it's the temptations of Christ when Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and where he faced the devil in temptation. So it's going to be, if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, you can go open it up to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And here it is. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus answered him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This is the word of God for us today. So the title of today's message, we're calling Daddy Issues. Daddy Issues. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, which is alive and active, and it judges the hearts and thoughts of every human being. 
And Lord, uh, would you cause your word that we're going to explore today to search us? And not that we would read the Bible here today, but by your power, you would cause the Bible to read us. Me included, Lord. We thank you that you're here. We feel your presence already. Gracious God, come and do what only you can do. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All righty. So at the core, I have two underlying beliefs that are at the bedrock for this series. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. They're also in the app. Number one, core belief number one for the sermon series for Come Alive is this, that you will never fully live into who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God. I'm going to go ahead and say that again. We're going to put it on the screen. You will never fully live into who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God. Our culture today is obsessed with wellness, physical wellness, relational wellness, um, mental wellness, emotional wellness, spiritual wellness. I get advertisements on the, my phone all the time for different meditation apps, for different wellness apps, for diet apps, for relationship stuff. We are a culture obsessed with wellness. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to come up here and say, forget that you should be unhealthy. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But our culture, in its obsession with wellness, can focus on the physical, on the mental, on um, the relational, on the emotional, and kind of dabble in the spiritual. In fact, many people that you may know who focus a lot on their emotional and mental wellness might be some of the nicest and kindest and most well-adjusted people that you know. And they might not be Christ followers. Those two things can't exist at the same time. People can't be nice and not yet know Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You should go outside and meet some of your neighbors. They can. But here's the one thing with that. That you can pursue wellness and read self-help books and podcasts, maybe even go to counseling and get help. And all those things are good, and I encourage you to do all of them. But a person who pursues wellness and wholeness aside from a relationship with God, will never know the transcendent love of God that transforms a person from the inside out. There's more to be had. So you will never fully live into who you were created to be deep on the inside without and apart from a relationship with God. Here's the core belief number two that I have. Number two is that, how do I want to say this? Your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are absolutely connected. Go ahead and put that up on the screen, guys. Your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are absolutely connected. Now, this is for church people here. A lot of times, church people will get engaged in a lot of spiritual activity and a lot of spiritual disciplines. They get involved in a lot of different groups and a lot of different Bible studies, and they'll serve, and they'll come to church, and they'll do all these wonderful things but they will neglect the deeper things on the inside, their emotional well-being. Let me give you some examples to help you understand what in the world I'm talking about. Here's some examples of some emotional, unhealthy spirituality, as author Pete Cesaro says. Here's some of these. Tell me if you've noticed these before. People who follow God who say they love Jesus, but they ignore and repress their anger, sadness, or fear. Because if you love Jesus, you're not supposed to feel sad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you follow Jesus, you're not supposed to be afraid of anything. Do not fear is the biggest, largest commandment in the Bible. Oh, you're not supposed to be anxious about anything because this Bible says so. So just stuff it and don't feel those things. 
and you just deny it. Sound familiar to anybody? Not anybody here, of course not. Right. How about some people who follow Jesus, but they deny the impact of their past on their present? It's absolutely true that in Christ we are made new creations, but that doesn't erase some maybe the trauma or some of the pain that I've experienced in the past, or maybe some of the issues from my family of origin. Just because I follow Jesus and he's redeemed me doesn't automatically mean he has dealt with those things. And sometimes people deny those and they don't want to talk about it. You're spiritual, but you're emotionally unhealthy. Here's another one. Some people divide life into the secular and the sacred. They have a way they live and act at church and they have a way that they live and act at work and at home. And even this, some people spiritualize away having healthy conflict. Oh no, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So are you going to engage in telling that person how you feel and that they hurt your feelings? No, 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 no. And they just stuff, stuff, stuff. And they're emotionally unhealthy. Um, You know why I can say this? This is not a bully pulpit to beat up on you guys. It's because I, I know that because that was me. That was me. When I went to seminary, which is a school for pastors to get trained, um, I went there, I was on fire for God, and I joined a little thing called what's, uh, what's called Healing Academy, which was a, a cohort of people learning how to pray for others, for God to do his transformative work on the inside of somebody's heart and to help them experience that through prayer. And on the application, like, I want to learn how to pray for people. I'm going to help people get healing on the inside. Great, cool. What do you need healing for? And I wrote, I don't know. And you know what else I experienced in my time at seminary? I lost friendships because I was too afraid to have a healthy conflict. Um, I began to realize I deeply struggled with anxiety. Anybody knows what it's like to physically have knots in your stomach because you're nervous about something? I would ask you to raise your hand, but you kind of can't because you're bent over with the knots in your stomach. Um, And so I was manifesting physically what was happening to me emotionally, and I had no way of dealing with that. Um, I began, I learned later on, I've preached on it here, you've heard me talk about it. I struggled with something called codependency. I had no idea that I struggled with it, but yet I was always trying to control people for my own sake, not for their sake, and being responsible for somebody instead of being responsible to somebody. And let me just tell you, my own journey of emotional brokenness in some ways and some stuff that God had to rewire and put back together again. Um, I went to counseling. Um, I did a lot of inner healing prayer. All those things together are really good and it began me on a journey. Trust me, I'm not there yet. Nobody ever really fully arrives. But put me on a journey of emotional well-being along with a vital spiritual relationship with God that when they come together, powerful things happen. Um, you know, if you've been here a little bit, you've heard me talk about how I'm not necessarily, how do I say this, the handiest person in the world. Um, I'm, a, I'm a great nerd. I know all sorts of stuff about Star Wars. That's great. Do I know how to fix things? Uh, you know, I'm working on it. And so I've been going to the Jedi School of Home Improvement, learning from my dad. My dad is here, by the way, in front row. Everyone say hi, Arch. Hi, okay. Yeah. My dad is super handy, and my, uh, my father-in-law, Paul, is also super handy. And so during coronavirus, I've learned a lot about home improvement, as everyone else had nothing else to do but work on your house, right? Um, I learned how to repair drywall. That's cool. I learned how to replace a light fixture. 
I learned about fertilizing my yard and feeding palm trees and doing all sorts of cool stuff like that. I also learned when I was going to pressure wash my deck, uh, when you pull the trigger on a pressure washer gun, water's supposed to powerfully go out from the nozzle. But when I pulled the trigger on the gun, water powerfully went from the handle into my face. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to work that way. And uh, what do you know, I opened it up and I watched a couple of YouTube videos and there's a leak in the plastic seal on the back where it's just coming up. Now, normally, old Trevor would say, it's broken, go buy a new one. But I'm learning how to be handy and fix things. So a little bit of research and bada-bing, I learned about something called J.B. Weld. Any men here know what J.B. Weld is? Uh, Oorah, right? Yeah. Okay, so J.B. Weld is a really powerful um, adhesive. So, I mean, if you're like on a scale of adhesives and you have like Elmer's white glue down here that kids eat in kindergarten, and then you have super glue, and then you have gorilla glue, J.B. Weld is up here, okay? It's so strong, it's sold in two bottles, and it's a powerful chemical bond where it's uh, an epoxy system where these chemicals come together when you mix them together uh, and put them on whatever you're trying to bond or close or weld together. It's as powerful as steel because of the chemical compound between these two epoxies. Really, really powerful, right? This is what I'm trying to tell you. Don't miss this. Your emotional well-being and your relationship with God are intricately connected. And when you get that and you learn to focus on both and put them together, powerful things will begin to happen in your life. And then when you begin to do that and put those together, guess what? You come alive. You come alive. So where do you begin? in this process of pursuing emotional wellness and wholeness along with pursuing a vital relationship with God. Where do you begin? If you're taking notes, write this down. It's not necessarily the outline of the app, but it's this. You have to begin to know yourself. A journey towards emotional wholeness and wellness and a vital relationship with God is knowing who you are. And you might be saying to myself, Trevor, I know my name. I know you know your name, but just hang with me for a second. Here's some great leaders in church history who have talked about this topic. This is not something new. This is something ancient and well-tested. St. Augustine wrote, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He then prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I might know thee. Meister Eckhart, who was a Dominican writer in the 13th century, wrote this, no one can know God who does not first know him or herself. St. Teresa of of Avila wrote this, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from lack of self-knowledge. You have to begin with knowing yourself. And this is why we read about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. You have to know who you are. When Jesus began to be tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, we read just a few moments ago, all three of the temptations that the devil brought to Jesus all begin with this. If you really are the son of God, if you really are who you think you are, as in, I don't think you're really that person. There are all temptations around identity and knowing who Jesus really was or not. And we can all identify with this. And you're looking like, Trevor, I've never been tempted to turn stones into bread. I'm not a walking Panera. I know. But trust me, 
This is for everybody in the room. Even if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're a little skeptical of this, you can glean from this too. Check this out. So the first temptation that Jesus had was turn these bread or turn, turn these stone, uh, turn these rocks into bread. I almost said turn this bread into stone. If you leave it out long enough, he'll definitely do that. <clears throat> but turn these rocks into bread, which he was hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. No one would blame Jesus for doing that. In fact, if you were here last week for our training Sunday, we talked about Jesus doing a food miracle to feed 5,000 people, which ended up being 11,000 people. So what's the big deal? What's the temptation? It was Jesus subverting God's purposes to serve his own purpose and to serve his stomach instead of his father if he had done it. But here's where it comes down to identity. Write this down. The first temptation about Jesus maybe turning bread into stones is this, I am what I do. The first temptation of identity is I am what I do. See, Jesus had never performed a miracle ever before. Jesus had not done anything. Jesus had no public ministry at this point. Jesus had done nothing. And by him turning stone into bread, it would have been like a first century, a first world miracle magic trick of Jesus doing a, ta-da, look at what I have done, everybody, and I'm going to prove myself to you. This is the lie and the temptation when we feel insecurity deep within ourselves and we begin to say things to ourselves like, I'll show them, I'll show myself and I'll show them that I'm somebody by what I do. Any fans of Hamilton in here? I'm not going to waste my shot. Just you wait. I'm young, just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. It's the same thing. People struggled with it then. They did during the Revolutionary War. People do now. They fall for the temptation of, I am what I do and how I perform. This is about performance. By how I perform and what I accomplish and what I do and what I produce, that's who I am and how I'll show people I'm worth something. But can I tell you as your pastor this morning, there are not enough trophies in the whole world to fill that hole in the human heart. It's the first temptation of identity. Here's the second temptation of identity. First one is, I am what I do. And the next is, um, I am what I have. And so we're not necessarily going in order of the passage. The, the, the tempter, Satan, the devil, takes Jesus on top of a mountain. And who knows if this was literal? Who knows if this was a vision? We don't know. Takes him on top of a mountain and says, you can have everything. Look at all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me instead of your father. And this is the temptation of possessions. Of possessions. It says, I am what I have. And so people learn after feeling insecurity and fear about maybe a lack of resources, they fall for this temptation. My identity is found by accumulating and accumulating and maybe more money or maybe more things or maybe more goods or maybe more clothes or maybe more toys, more tools, more cars, more houses, more gadgets, more technology. It's just more, 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 more. And eventually you gather enough to get your arms around it until you look to your side and you see your neighbor who might have one more thing that you do and begins the comparison trap of all you do is you're just trying to get your identity by having more than the person 
next to you. You ever heard what Rockefeller said one time when somebody asked him, how much is enough money? And he said, just this much more. That's a major temptation. You know what? Um, one of my favorite actors, Jim Carrey, said this. We're going to put it on the screen. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see it's not the answer. I am what I do. I am what I have. And people who have been there know the emptiness of that. And maybe you do too. Maybe you do too. And here's the third temptation that Jesus faced with his identity that we also face too. I am what I do. I am what I have. And here's the deadly one in our culture today in 2020. I am what others think. I am what others think. The enemy took Jesus on top of the temple and said, throw yourself down from here. And it says in the Bible that God will save you. Every person who quotes the Bible to you might not be using the Bible rightly. Amen? Oh, God will save you. You could presume on God. And so there's Jesus, most likely the southwest corner of the ancient first century Jewish temple overlooking the Kidron Valley. And can you imagine if Jesus had taken the bait? One, Satan may have been tricking him into and attempting to commit suicide, first off. Second of all, maybe perhaps let's say God did save Jesus and rescued him and caught him with angels' help and all the splendor would have had and how the audience would have oohed and awed and wow, Jesus, you're something else. Jesus would have been totally living for the applause of the crowd instead of for the applause of one. And we are sick with this one, with popularity and power. We are sick with it in 2020 in our culture. If you have Netflix, you've surely seen this come up in your feed. There's a new documentary called The Social Dilemma. And what it is, it's a documentary where uh, this filmmaker interestingly interviewed all the, um, the architects of Facebook and Google, and Instagram, and other social media platforms, and how they all have deep regret over what they created. Deep regret. In fact, this film studies teenagers, and the effect that social media has on young people, on teenagers and millennials. Um, I'm the last generation that graduated college without social media. Facebook came out my junior year of college. I was one of the first people on it. But if you're growing up in middle school and high school with this stuff, it's toxic. They're watching the rise of social media and mechanisms like if somebody likes what you posted or not, and the rise of teen depression, teen anxiety, and teen suicide. We're sick with this because people are buying the lie of you are what other people think. The bait never changes, just the year does. So here's the real question that we have to ask ourselves. If we just leave this here, we're all going to walk out feeling depressed for one of the three lies or maybe all three of them that we've bought in our life of, I do think that I really struggle with that. I do think I get my worth and my value and my identity from what I do or from my possessions or from what other people think. I'm trapped by that. I don't know what to do. This is not a place where you come in here and people look, somebody looks at you and says, try harder in Jesus' name and go home. That's not the gospel of Jesus, Right? How did Jesus resist this? What's in the verses that happened right before the passage? 
If you rewind from Matthew 4, just two verses, you go to Matthew chapter 3, it's the day when Jesus got baptized. And when Jesus got baptized, he came out of the water and something monumental happened. We're going to put it out on the screen. Check this out. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of, spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. You want to know how to say no to those temptations outside of just trying harder? Here's what it is. You just have to remember what Jesus remembered in all those three temptations. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what other, pe other people think. I am whose I am. I am whose I am. And I am a child of God. My father is my father from heaven. He loves me and he is pleased with me. Jesus knew who he was because he received his identity from an audience of one. I started today by saying to all of you, don't be an iceberg. You want to know what I want you to be? You're, just hang with me. I want you to be a cog pal. <laughs> a what? Say it with me. Cog pal. You know what a cog pal is? It's a child of God and a person of worth. I know people with that as their license plate. I am a child of God and a person of worth. How do you start a journey of emotional wholeness and spiritual vitality with God? How do you combine them together for a powerful, life-transforming mixture? It begins with this. Who are you? Because of what Jesus has done and by the grace of God, he has given you the opportunity to become a child of God and a person of worth. The only thing I want you to do today is not try harder, but just say over yourself, I am a child of God. I am a person of worth. It's choosing to begin to believe that. And let me tell you, it's not a light switch. It's a journey where God takes you on, on a journey of discipling you out of believing all those lies about your identity and replacing it with this. I hope you come back next week. This is the start of the journey into coming alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to close in prayer. And uh, Yeah, we're just going to bow our heads. Let me pray for you. We sang earlier in the service today that, Father, you are a good, good Father. It is who you are. It is who you are. It is who you are. And I am loved by you. And this is who I am. Lord, we couldn't have planned that any better. That was a happy accident by your Holy Spirit that we sang those words. And Lord, I just pray that over all my brothers and sisters this morning now that they would know the truth, that you are a good, good father. You're the type of father their earthly dad should have been. You are 
good. You are faithful. You are compassionate and kind, slow to anger, abounding in love. You are a good, good father. And we are loved by you. This is who we are because of Jesus. We are children of yours and persons of worth. Lord, would you cause this truth to transform us as we begin a journey of emotional wholeness and spiritual vitality with you in this new series. Bless every person here. Cause um, all of them to be able to come back next week and begin to continue this journey. Lord, fill up all the seats in this room for those who are comfortable and able to return. Thank you for a great first Sunday back. We love you. It's in the mighty, wonderful, and loving name of Jesus Christ we pray and all God's people said, amen. Hey, listen before, amen, amen. Hey, listen, before you go, remember prayer team's back there. And if you want to take a next step for Christ, all you have to do is text next to the number on the screen or go to that website. Otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.